when I started my career working with uh, queer and trans people, I never, I didn't get everything right. I, I messed up a lot. I made a lot of mistakes and I had a lot of really tough feedback. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. Coming to you not on an every other Monday schedule, but today on May 17th. Why are we releasing today? Because today is the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. And in support of this important cause, I decided to publish my episode with Colin Druhan, the Executive Director at Pride at Work Canada, today. Colin joins me to talk about what we as allies, what we as leaders can do to ask the right questions. The right questions of how we can make an impact through our efforts, our intention to bring about inclusive, equitable workplaces, cultures, and environments. I think it's an important conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. And with that, here's the episode. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspired Podcast is Colin Druhan, and Colin is the Executive Director at Pride at Work Canada. And uh, Colin, I know this is going to be kind of a very narrow definition of the great work that you do, but you're uh, Pride at Work Canada, a national not-for-profit whose mission is to support Canadian employers with their DEI strategy. So uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll expand on that. But before we do, welcome to the Inspire podcast. Thanks for having me, Bart. Yeah, thank, thanks for being here. And I know um, uh, we're going to dive more deeply into what Private Work Canada does and the important work and some of the research that you've done. But tell me your story. I know you live in Toronto, but you didn't start your life in Toronto. No, I started uh, in Nova Scotia. I was born in um, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. It's very interesting. I always talk about my first job in the context of the work that we do at Pride of Work Canada, mostly when I'm trying to outline wage gaps, actually. So my first job in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, was at a, a burger place at a bus station. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Glamorous beginnings, I, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I worked in the I worked in the kitchen and I made five fifty an hour. That was mm. the minimum wage in Nova Scotia at the time, which should give you some indication mm-hmm. of my age, but we'll gloss over that very quickly. And I really wanted to work on the cash register because the people who worked in the customer service area of the restaurant made slightly more. I think they made 15 cents more per hour. Hmm. So being, you know, kind of hardworking and ambitious from a very young age, I really wanted to move up into that position. But the people that I work with said that I couldn't because they actually said that my voice was too gay to no. work with customers. Yeah, wow. they said that I sounded too gay and it wasn't the impression they wanted to give to their customers. So I always used that story to not only talk about my motivation for moving mm-hmm. into work with equity deserving communities, but illustrate how little things like that actually result in pay gaps over the time, to- over time for not just members of the community that I'm a part of, but, you know, it contributes to racial wage gaps, mm-hmm. you know, gender wage gaps. So we use that as an example, but I also kind of use it as a bit of an anecdote to talk about the fact that it's interesting how they said my voice is too gay, 
but now I get paid significantly more to just chatter <laughs> on with folks like you. <laughs> Jokes on them. Maybe we should go back and order some burgers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but you know, I, I know we we kind of are tongue in cheek <laughs> laughing about that. But you know, what a what a difficult thing to hear at that age. Like, t- tell me how that impacted you. Well, I did not have any sense at the time that what I was experiencing was discrimination hmm. because I didn't have a solid understanding hmm. of you know, employment protection frameworks in Nova Scotia at the time. I was 16 years old. Right. And, you know, even if I had gone to my parents or, or other folks at the time, I don't think a lot of people even now are aware that that's mm. workplace discrimination. Mm. And you actually can't, you can't say that type of stuff to people or, or really you can't put those type of barriers between people and their, and their economic success. So it really was that experience and others that propelled me forward in my career. I started off you know, in a little bit of a different spot than I am now. My, my degree, my undergraduate degree is actually in oil painting. So oh. I started as a, as, a, as a painter. And I like to say that it made me a creative thinker. Mm. I um, uh, I certainly didn't intend coming out of that experience to become an artist. I really decided that that wasn't the life for mm. me. But, you know, I, I moved to Ontario in search of higher paying jobs, um, particularly in kind of the creative sector. And my experience there was having to work two, three part-time jobs, sometimes the part-time job on top of my full-time job or internship, just to survive and pay down the student debt that I had, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to pursue a career in a mission-driven environment. And Mm -hmm. it was the trajectory of that career that I was so happy led me to Pride to Work Canada, because across every point in my career, I came across that issue that I experienced at a young age of people being told or people being uh, prevented from accessing the employment that was a good fit for them and their skills and their goals because of some aspect of themselves that they could not change or they shouldn't Hmm. have to change. You know, I worked Hmm. with refugees who came to Canada to escape state-sponsored violence um, against queer and trans people only to find that people would not hire them, whether it was because they were queer or because it was they were racialized um, or because they had an accent or they didn't have this elusive, quote, Canadian experience a lot of employers look for. You know, I worked with students at George Brown College and I saw many of them struggle because of a lack of connection with their family, set Mm -hmm. them behind their classmates. When you're kicked out of a house at 15, you know, you have to kind of make your own way. And that's the story for so many people from the communities that we work with at Pride to Work Canada. So when I was given the opportunity to become executive director in 2014, I was thrilled. And honestly, it, it at that time was my dream job and continues to be my dream job today. So th- and thanks for sharing your story. I mean, I think, you know, all of the experiences that, that you've had, you know, I think two things that resonate with me. One is they just show how, people become impacted often without even knowing what they're, you know, what they're experiencing in terms of discrimination, harassment, so forth, Mm -hmm. and without the capacity to deal with it. I mean, it just, uh, I just finished watching this documentary on Abercrombie and Fitch. I don't know if you've seen this one on Netflix, but it's a, it was a clothing store or clothing brand in the U S that essentially um, institutionalized systemic discrimination to create exclusivity. And you, you listen to the people who, work there, people of color who were put in the back rooms or fired. And mm-hmm. they very much the same thing. They didn't realize what they were facing, you know, and, until someone said, you know, that sounds like discrimination. So I think, you know, that that's one thing that resonates. But I also think the other thing that resonates to me is the untapped talent that exists. You know, you talk about newcomers. Mm-hmm. We know that can- one of the things I'm really proud about with Canada is, you know, we've made a commitment to bring almost half a million people 
to immigrants to Canada every year. And we're, we're going to have to make sure employers need to make sure that we get the most out of uh, this incredible talent pool, but also people who um, represent different uh, intersectionalities, gender, minorities, and so forth. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, everything you're saying really speaks to the fact that we too often uh, ignore the talent right in front of us. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's really been the key to the growth that we've experienced at Pride of Work Canada over the last number of years, mm-hmm. uh, because I think a lot of organizations used to see the work we do in diversity, equity, inclusion, or, you know, um, dignity, justice, blind, however you want to brand mm-hmm. it. They saw the work that we did as kind of a nice to have, or, you know, maybe more in line. Or with, downside risk um, management. <laughs> yeah, risk management, or even kind of uh, cultivating their brand, wanting to, you know, be more friendly to our community because of this myth that there's this intense buying power from queer hmm. and trans communities, which hmm. we can talk about more as we go, which is inc- incredibly, incredibly false. Hmm. Um, there's actually a significant wage gap for people based on sexual orientation in Canada mm-hmm. and significant barriers for people who are trans, non-binary, gender diverse. But, you know, w- we've seen an incredible amount of engagement with employers. When I started in 2014, we worked with about 30 employers mm-hmm. and our revenue was about $200,000 a year. And uh, we just ended this fiscal year um, looking into projecting about 1.8 million in revenue next year, working with over 200 companies. That's amazing, Um, congratulations. Oh, thank you, yeah. I started as an independent contractor with the dream of building a robust full-time team. Hmm. And um, we're in the middle of some hiring right now. We're gonna have 15 people come come May 1st. Maybe this is a good time then for you to describe, I know I kind of gave you the tagline at the beginning, but what exactly does private work do? Yeah, well, we're a member services agency, so companies can, you know, pay an annual membership fee and they get access to a suite of services that will hopefully help support their diversity, equity and inclusion efforts. So um, for the folks who are listening who are not familiar with the Employment Equity Act, that is a a federal legislation that uh, impacts federally regulated uh, workplaces. And a lot of those workplaces, they have strategies that are built around the four groups that are identified in that act. But Queer and trans communities are not currently identified as a as a group in that mm-hmm. in that legislation. Hmm. Um, though there are employment protections on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression at every jurisdictional level in Canada. So, really, what I I think we try to do with our members is not just help them build a strategy, but understand their obligation mm-hmm. um, and understand how you know you rightly pointed out how to manage risk around you know how we handle those employment protections. Are we adhering to legislation and are we providing accommodation when necessary or are we going above and beyond and proactively empowering Hmm. members of this community to to succeed because uh, whether it's our employer facing programs that help employers create better more inclusive workplaces or some of our programs for individuals that really help people take leadership you know take control and leadership of their own career Mm -hmm. we're trying to help empower a group of people who are currently not participating uh, in the economy Mm -hmm. um, at the level that they should be. So we see an incredible amount of poverty. And you've done some research on this, right? I know that one of the things that's kind of driven private work Canada forward is your research. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'd love to get some information from you on, on that, um, what you've learned. Oh gosh, yes. We we were really happy to support um, SRDC with some um, recent research that they did. It was sorry, um, SRDC, just for my knowledge, what's the acronym? 
SRDC is the Social Research and Demonstration Corporation. Okay. Uh, they're a nonprofit research organization in Canada. And we were really pleased to support them through, through three phases of research that were supported by um, Women and Gender Equality Canada. Okay. And, um, you know, a lot of that research just drew from, you know, available data to kind of survey available data and, and you know, some original research as well to tell us a lot of things that we already know <laughs> or uh, anecdotal. Uh, like know, all anecdotal great research inter- projects, pay money to learn what you already know. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, when you're working with employers and when you're looking working on economic issues, you have to have that yes. evidence in order to yes. drive things forward. So we were very grateful to work with them. And, you know, some of the things we, we found through that research was, like I mentioned before, the significant wage gap based on sexual orientation, you know, just kind of doing a cursory review of yeah, it. Yeah. Bisexual women in Canada make on average half of what straight men make in Canada. And that's odd because um, bisexual people actually make up the largest portion of the queer and trans community in Canada, whether they specifically identify as bisexual or bi or pansexual. That's the largest group of the community. It's also the part of the community from the perspective of sexual orientation that tends not to be out at work. Because bisexual people face biphobia from both straight people and gay people. Hmm. So uh, we we found out a lot of these really interesting data points. Um, You know, what we know from other research done by TransPulse Canada, which is an outstanding, you know, trans-led initiative to get data on trans communities, Mm -hmm. is just the, you know, very dire situation when it comes to employment, Mm -hmm. uh, and particularly around employment discrimination for, for trans folks which most happens during the hiring stage. Mm-hmm. And that consigns many trans folks to live lives of poverty and hardship. And we actually see the increased engagement with such things as survival sex work. That is what results in incredibly dire numbers for trans women who are more likely to die by homicide than cisgender women. And then even looking even further, when we kind of look at intersecting identities and intersecting challenges, mm-hmm. Black trans women are just about 2,500% more likely to die by homicide than oh white trans God. women. So we see these challenges echoed across the community. So black people are in our communities, women, trans people, bisexual people, people with disabilities, they get the worst outcomes because wow. the ways racism and misogyny and ableism interact with homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia, they contribute to these negative outcomes. So I can go on and on and on, but right. I would just really encourage folks to go to prideofwork.ca. And we'll put, and, and we'll put some links. Resources. Yeah, we can put some links to it. But I think, you know, so what I'm taking away is um, Pride at Work has really done the research. You mentioned the, um, I won't try and say the acronym again, but that I know you've done collaborations with Rotman. I know you've done research on Pathways Leadership. So you do this le- this work and then you bring it to, these employers, right? And what I'm hearing is that there's two things. One is you're ensure, you're helping them ensure that they're compliant um, and not in a punitive way, just so that they can meet the standards that they need to maybe need to understand. But then there's also the upside of how they can reach out and create impact for an engagement with, with um, the groups that you support. Um, yeah. Does that, does that capture it? You're... It does because, you know, I, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, you know, like I'm always coming Go for it, Colin, about, ring, ring the doom I'm bell. Always, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always talking about these challenges. And one of the things that I always like to add, because I do kind of focus on those challenges, mm-hmm. because they're the things that really drive me forward in my work, mm-hmm. seeing numbers like that and really wanting to reduce them. But, you know, 
when we only focus on that doom and gloom aspect mm-hmm. of things, we forget about all of the incredible success stories that we have in our hmm. communities and all of the incredible resilience that I see. You know, hmm. I have worked with young people starting businesses, um, you know, people who have been moving forward in their careers within some of Canada's largest, mm-hmm. most profitable, com- profitable companies, people being supported to come out by their employers who want hmm. them to be authentic in the workplace, because that's the type of leadership yes. that we know is so successful these days. So, you know, I, while I, I, I always need to kind of bring in those numbers and talk about the challenges, I don't want anybody to think that at Pride of Work Canada, that's all we do. We also celebrate the successes of our community right. and do what we can to empower members of our community to act as advocates, not just for themselves, but for the broad diversity that we see across the two LGBTQIA plus communities. Yeah, Colin, I love you. Know, like you said, you know, there's there's the doom and gloom, but there's also the inspirational stories. And I know personally, in the you know twenty plus years I've been doing leadership development and with the DEI lens, I've seen progress and I've seen so many success stories. So I know you see you do this day in day out. I'm wondering, can you share one inspirational story about a person and maybe one inspirational story about a company? And I know you can't mention your clients by name because you, you know, of course they're, they're all deserving. So maybe you could just anonymize that one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. If I play, if I play favorites, I get in hot water. I appreciate that part. Yeah. We have um, to, we have to know, double the length of the podcast to highlight them all. <laughs> yeah. If I mention one, I have to mention all 200. Right. So, uh, no, I think, I think in terms of what I see employers doing, um, I've been seeing some really like incredible work coming out of some of the larger financial institutions actually, really doing targeted recruitment because mm-hmm. when I hear, you know, when people look at that acronym or some of the acronyms we use, we we say 2SLGBTQIA+, but you might hear LGBTQ or LGBTQ2, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people see that how broadly diverse the community is and they think, well, we have to do something that's going to impact across the whole spectrum. But listen to some of those things that I talked about in terms of numbers. We're not actually seeing the outcomes uh, being the same across all of those um, across Hmm. all of those letters and all of those identities. So when I see employers doing things like putting together a specific strategy to recruit trans talent, or when I see employers doing job fairs that are specifically for um, queer and trans job seekers who are racialized, that is exactly what what we try to promote at Pride Over Canada. You Hmm. can't be too general because if Hmm. you're too general in your strategy, who gets left behind? The same people Hmm. every single time. And they get left out and left behind in the strategy. And then they get left out and left behind in your workforce. And you're only going to be seeing the same profile coming up again and again. And then you're right back to where you started in terms of your goals. So I really like to see that targeted approach from employers, especially around recruitment, because that's how we're going to make a dent in some of those numbers that we see in the community. And, um, you know, I'm sure you probably want to hear about some of the, you know, executives I work with. Yes. (laughs) But in terms of a success story, you know, I really have to think about some of the folks that we have working with us at Pride Work Canada. Um, Jade Pichette is our director of programs. And Jade has a really long history of working in the community. Uh, they worked at the archives, which is, uh, you know, formerly Canada's um, lesbian and gay archives. They, they worked as a social worker. And honestly, Jade's career has just taken off. Mm. You know, they always had a really strong career. But at Pride Work Canada, them being able to interact with all these companies and be seen as a thought leader, not because they come with a wealth of experience mm-hmm. in capital markets or, right, right. Uh, or from business school, but because they bring this strength of leadership from a community perspective 
And it is something that a lot of the employers we work with haven't heard before or haven't encountered before. Mm. And everything they say just makes so much sense when you actually put it in human terms that are much more easily digestible than business jargon or, you know, focusing on really kind of uh, nebulous, uh, nebulous kind of like number propositions around representation. Jade brings just a true empathy to their role and not just in the way that they look at the subject matter, but the way they Mm -hmm. deal with our clients and customers. And I would say that, you know, Jade is a constant inspiration for me seeing the way that they work and they succeed and lead their team. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just seeing the profile that they've been able to create for themselves in corporate Canada as a person who doesn't necessarily come from that world. It's incredible. Yeah, those are those are great examples. And I know we'd be remiss if we didn't mentioned at least briefly that Pride Work Canada won Best Employer last year from Charity Village uh, for, you know, living what you do externally, you know, with your efforts around DI. So I did want to mention, I w- did want to give you the kudos on that. We could do a whole other podcast on on your internal <laughs> leadership by them. But oh, I, thank you. Yeah, well, well deserved. You know, one thing that, and maybe this leads to kind of a, a good next uh, shift in our conversation or topic, you know, you mentioned that the best some of the employers who are really doing the right thing is they're having this targeted recruitment. And so implicit in that is that the the question, you know, how do we target, you know, these specific groups is critical. Now, I know that when we had our prep, you said one of the things that you at Private Work Canada really help employers understand is that they need to ask different questions, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. and that many, to be blunt, are asking the wrong questions, not through ill intention, but just they're just asking the wrong questions. And then that leads to less effectiveness. So I'm wondering if we could turn to that topic. And because many people listening who, and I'll put myself in this boat, may not know if we're asking the right questions and would really be helpful to know. So what are, give me a couple of the wrong questions that people ask, maybe three, and then let's tackle why those are wrong and what we should be asking instead as leaders. Sure. Yeah. No, I love this conversation. This the this topic <laughs> of conversation. It's great. I find it odd how often employers come to us asking us to help them with really specific tactics or projects, you know, before they even get our view on whether or huh. not those are the right things to do. I would think that if you know nothing about a topic and you're coming right. to an expert on a topic, you would want to hear what they want to do before you start right. getting into. So, so like, what, what the will work they ask? Like. Let's get really specific well, here. Like, what would be some things they would ask? The main thing that everybody asks is that they want us to do training on vocabulary huh. and um, are we saying the right things? Are we using the right terms? And uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to make it seem as though I don't think that the language that we use within the communities that we work with are, is important. It's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, teaching a whole bunch of people, you know, the definition of the word lesbian and the definition of the word pansexual, it doesn't actually make them better at working with our communities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the, the language that we use changes so frequently and it's so nuanced. And, you know, even if we think about a word like queer, I'm from Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up in Nova Scotia, the word queer was not as celebrated as it is now. And I think even today, you'll find some parts of Canada, some parts of the world where the word queer is not used in a celebratory way. It's used still as a slur, which is something that we have to really keep in mind. So, you know, it, it is very nuanced based on, you know, generation and, and geography and, and other contexts. 
So it okay. is important for folks to be aware of where they can access, you know, the most updated vocabulary. But coming in and doing an hour about, you know, these are the types of words you should be using and these right. are the types of words you shouldn't be using, that's not as valuable as what are some of the kind of tried and true communication styles and tactics? Or right. what are some of the ways that we can actually set up meetings for success so that we can regardless of the vocabulary we're using, all interact with each other in a respectful way. Hmm. So at, instead of saying, well, we want somebody to come in and do a training on vocabulary, tell us what led you to that question. Was it a complaint? Yeah, and let me ask that because, you know, obviously there's some positive intention. They want to come in and do some work, but it's very like they're going to the solution. So what would drive a company or a, an individual to come to you with that request? What do you, what do you see generally when you dig deeper? It's usually a complaint from an employee. And ah, it's usually okay. <laughs> that it's usually an employee is making some noise, rightfully so, because folks are not using appropriate language in the workplace. And it's not necessarily that the employees are not using the right words. It's um, you know, the type of thing that, you know, I see all the time there's a double standard being employed. Hmm. I mean like what does that I mean? can't tell I can't tell you how many soccer uniforms I've played, I paid for across my career. Like mm. when people come and sell chocolate bars at work, right? Mm. So mm -hmm. they say, you know, my daughter is in soccer and, you know, buy a chocolate bar, help pay for right. her uniform, right. whatever. I'm happy to do that right. sort of stuff. You know, it happens all the time that somebody will come in and start talking about, uh, you know, it might be a colleague who's a woman who comes in and start talking about her wife. And the next thing you know, folks in the environment are saying, well, it's so inappropriate for her oh, to be talking about oh, her life okay. at work. And, you know, why is it inappropriate for her to be talking about her her spouse and right. her family when everybody else gets to? And even if we look at things like, um, you know, folks coming in and just, just talking about, you know, how they're parenting their kid, you know, people will talk about kids at work all the time. But I know a lot of people who their colleagues don't know that they have kids because hmm. if they told them that they had kids, they would also have to tell them they were right. parenting that kid with a partner who's the same sex so or the same gender. Hmm. So um, it okay. really does hold people back from full participation in the workforce. So that's what I mean when there's usually some kind of complaint and the employee says, well, it would be better if people knew kind of what words to use. Right. But honestly, it's usually about, you know, I wish that we had a more, uh, a better understanding of how to communicate with ah, each other. So the, so. so the wrong question is, can you help us know what words to use? The right question is, how do we better communicate with each other? Yeah. And how do we set the tone for the type of culture mm. we want to have where people aren't making these assumptions, you know, about right. what's appropriate or inappropriate in the workplace based on their singular experience uh, of things? You know, similarly, we have a lot of employers come to us and they'll they'll say, well, we want somebody to come in and do in some training, but we don't really want to talk about trans stuff because we just want to focus on sexual orientation. That seems like all we will will be able to cover for now. And, you know, that's just not something that we're going to do. And, and are they saying, sorry to jump in there, are they saying that because they feel there's not enough time or they feel that they don't want to, that it's too sensitive to talk about trans? Well, on, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm going to make a huge assumption here. Go I for think it. it's because they, <laughs> they know a lot of people who identify as gay or bisexual or mm -hmm. pansexual or queer, and they don't know a lot of people who identify I as see. trans, or they don't necessarily understand that 
um, you know, there are a lot of folks who identify as trans in the Canadian workforce mm-hmm. who are not out to anybody they work with. So you might not think you have any trans people working at, at your company, but you probably do. Hmm. And I speak to a lot of employers who say, well, we don't have any trans people who work here. <laughs> and in my head, I'm going through all of the trans people that I know who work at, at that company. At that company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. So I think that's another piece that we get to where People want to pick and choose who mm. from the community um, they help based on their comfort level or the assumptions they make about people's comfort level with certain subject matter. Uh, trans people have existed as long as people have existed. Hmm. And you can disagree with me on that, but that just means you do not know the history the way that I know the history. Hmm. And you do not know the community the way I know the community. And I see so much fear, you know, particularly now with so much aggressively transphobic and trans antagonistic legislation coming out of the United States, which really is a problem globally because we we have a, a great number of countries that criminalize being queer and trans. So um, we can't act as though that's a new thing. You know, when I see people making, you know, wildly outlandish and false claims about trans people posing a danger to others uh, or threatening, um, you know, the safety of others, that to me means that person does not know a single trans person because right. if they did, they would know that that's just not true. So what question should employers be asking rather than, hey, you know, can we do some training on X diversity group? Yeah, well, the 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 biggest problem with that question that we see about training is that so many companies their DEI strategies tend to focus on the worst actors Hmm. or who's causing the problems in the workplace, which Mm -hmm. means you're constantly fighting an uphill battle. You cannot teach somebody not to be a jerk. If somebody (laughs) comes to work, there's no training for that. (laughs) There's no training for that. You can give the person all the vocabulary in the world. You can tell them all of the statistics about how racism Mm -hmm. impacts racial wage gaps or systemic racism pervades hiring processes. You know, lack of trans inclusion policy consigns so many people to lives of poverty and hardship. They'll hear that it's in one ear and out the other and nothing about their behavior is going to change. So you can arm them with all the information, but you cannot teach somebody to be empathetic to others. So that's the problem is that we see it focus on the worst actors. There's a hesitancy to focus on empowering people or focusing Hmm. on a very specific segment of the community. But honestly, if we see dire numbers, like the rate of homicide for black trans women, why not introduce interventions or a program that helps that population? It's a worry that other people are going to feel like left out by that specificity. But whose comfort are we prioritizing there when we say we don't want to use the word racism because Hmm. it might cause some discomfort among the white participants? Well, we're prioritizing the theoretical comfort of white people over the actual discomfort of racialized members of that employment population. So the question should be less about how do we tackle this group, which implicitly is saying, hey, let's, you know, not let's deal with the worst actors and more what? How do we create a culture where we where everyone feels valued and welcome? What would be the question to ask? How do we how do we actually locate ways to empower those who are currently feeling disempowered? Love it. The people who feel uncomfortable now. We we worry, you know, employers worry too much about how something's going to inf- uh, affect people who are already, you know, folks who don't have never felt unsafe in their life for the most part. Right. They've never had to enter a room and worry that if they share that their pronouns are they them they're going to get laughed out of the room right. or they're going to be devalued or questioned. 
or their authority is going to be questioned as a manager. Or like I was told at some points in my career, we'd love to put you into a management position, but I just don't think anybody's going to listen to a wow. gay guy. So, wow. you know, the, the, those are the things I, I felt so uncomfortable in so many work yes. situations throughout my career. I wish somebody had valued my comfort the way that they value the comfort of straight right. cis white people, sometimes white guys. Well, well said. Um, so let's go to one more question that you get uh, from well-intentioned companies who may be asking the wrong question. Well, it's a, it's a category of question, I'll okay. say, where they go and they come to us and they, they want a, our help with a very specific tactic. And it's the most frustrating thing. I think a lot of people go on LinkedIn and they kind of crowdsource their DEI tactics from, from whatever <laughs> they see in their feed. And I, there's a lot of good ideas out there. The problem is that each one of those ideas is a lever that's used to solve a very specific hmm. problem. So we don't want to start with the solution. We want to start with the problem. So what we actually do, and you know, this kind of my catchphrase around Pride Award Canada is help people ask better questions. So when they say, we want you to come and help us set up an employee resource group, we're supposed to say, and what problem are you trying to solve with that hmm. employee resource group? What is it that you're trying to accomplish with it? And honestly, sometimes they just don't even have an answer <laughs> for us because because they just say, well, I don't know, I Google. I'm it supposed to have one. <laughs> I'm supposed to have a pride ERG. And, and you know, that's a, that that's what we're supposed to have. So help us with it. And we say, well, you know, um, that could be a good solution. Let's talk about what your challenges are. Let's talk about what hmm. your numbers look like in terms of representation. What does your employee experience data look like? What are employees saying? Do you have a high turnover rate hmm. in certain departments? Um, are you getting complaints about certain managers and their styles? Um, you know, we, we ask a number of questions okay. to find out what the actual problems are that need to be solved. And then we say, you know what? An ERG is not a solution to that problem. Here's something that is. Let's work on that together. I like it. So really helping them get to the questions they have. It's kind of, a, you know, when you come to ask a question about strategy, start by, instead of building a strategy, understanding what should my strategy be trying to achieve for our business? Absolutely. You wouldn't go to, um, you know, a social media management company and tell them, and we want you to be doing these posts on this day. And we want you to right. be engaging this audience on this platform. You would just tell them, this is what we're trying to achieve. You tell us what we need to do right. on social media to achieve that. And uh, you trust them, you know, to, to build that strategy up for you. And I, I would hope that, you know, a lot of employers would trust us, given that we work with so many you different have a good employers. Track. It is so funny, you say, you know, that so many of the organizations that come to you, who obviously are in, well-intentioned to actually do something. I mean, there's a whole group who do nothing. Uh, so, and yet they're coming with solutions and, uh, and requests for implementation. And, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of it is due to the anxiety and stress that, that, many people have around tackling diversity, equity, inclusion. And so I think, you know, your approach around helping them to ask the right questions really is actually a way to lower that tension and do something meaningful. So that I can is, see why you, a, you've been successful. That is such a good point, Bart, because, um, you know, no matter who you are, you have an identity. Yes. <laughs> you, you have an identity and, uh, you know, what, whatever your, your, race or ethnicity is or your age or your how you identify your gender or your orientation it's personal this this, this these issues around identity and inclusion are personal mm -hmm. so you know especially when you're a really hard working mm -hmm. manager or leader and you've been working doing everything that you can to create a positive culture and sometimes when people bring forward these 
suggestions or their concerns, it can feel like, oh gosh, nothing I do is right. ever good enough. And, right. I'm failing and or, so or I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed I'm, that, that I haven't done the right thing here. <laughs> Yeah. And it can, it can seem like a personal failure. Yes. And I think mentioning shame is so important. We feel ashamed. I haven't lived up to my responsibility as a leader here. Yes. I'm not being a leader to everyone, right? So we can allow that shame to really bog us down and, and make us inactive, or we can have it, you know, drive us forward. When I started my career working with uh, queer and trans people, I never, I didn't get everything right. right. I, I messed up a lot. I made a lot of mistakes and I had a lot of really tough feedback from hmm. people saying, you know, when you opened up that meeting, um, you know, we didn't share pronouns and I hmm. felt left out and I, hmm. I didn't feel like I could contribute. This is, you know, something I experienced like 15 or so years ago. Wow. And from that moment on, I, I, I get it now. I get how hmm. important that is. And that's going to be something I do every time I start a meeting. And now we do that. And it's so many more people do that now and so many more steps. But, you know, I, I've messed up a lot. And, and I've always relied on the compassion of others hmm. to come forward and say, you know what, Colin, you can do this a little bit better next time. And you can either you can let that crush you or you can, right. you can let it build you up. <laughs> I love that. You know, as someone who, you know, as a leader in my own company have often felt like, you know, particularly these last few years as we've, I think as a society, been better at taking on societal issues, you know, like the murder of George Floyd, just as one example that comes to mind, uh, where you actually bring it into the company and talk about it. Um, I feel often I'm I'm getting it wrong or I've I've missed something. And it's just great to hear the compassion from you if, you know, keep trying and be open to being better. Yeah, I learn I learn from the communities that we work with and beyond every day. And, you know, I try not to talk about myself as a as an expert because I still am very much a student of mm -hmm. all of this stuff. And I think as somebody who works in this discipline full time and is is constantly speaking about it mm -hmm. and um, presenting on it, I, I hope that when other leaders hear that I'm still learning, they give themselves a little bit of a break. <laughs> that they too yeah. can so, continue learning. Well, maybe that, that leads to kind of the final thing I'll ask you as we wrap this this um, insightful conversation up. You know, we've talked about, you know, what companies get wrong when they come to you and kind of companies in a very generic sense. But people, individual people are listening to this. People who are, you know, listening to this podcast because they want to be better leaders. They want to be more inspirational. They want to lead uh, increasingly diverse teams and engage people of all backgrounds. What is the number one piece of advice you would give to listeners on how, and I'll put myself in there, how we can better engage with these underrepresented groups and make sure they're included? I guess I would say that, uh, you know, when you're talking, you're not listening. So if you are constantly trying to prove yourself to be, quote, one of the good ones, <laughs> and, and sharing the knowledge that you have and reiterating things to folks that they hmm. probably already know, hmm. uh, you're taking up time that you could be listening, right? Listening to that person and hearing what they need from you. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the, well, what vocabulary am I supposed to use? That's a very self-centered approach because it's about how you look hmm. as a leader. Hmm. I want to make sure I'm saying the right things. You're not asking, I want to make sure I'm doing the right things. So you kind of have to ask people what kind of behaviors they're looking for from you, okay. um, what kind of action they're looking for from you. And um, I mean, I bring it back to that issue of balance that I talked about before, where it can't just be all about your information, mm. your knowledge, knowledge transfer to you about a community. Think about what you can do 
uh, to empower others to act for themselves? What is the space that they need to be given in order to succeed in your environment? You don't find that out by going on your own learning journey. You right. find that out by talking to people directly and getting their feedback. Just because somebody gives you feedback or suggestions doesn't mean you have to take everything that I they like say. I like that too. Yes, it. right. <laughs> but just sometimes being heard can can be helpful. And for every measure you take to improve the knowledge of, you know, if you're a straight person, if you're a cisgender person, every move you take to improve your knowledge about communities or, or individuals mm -hmm. that have a different experience from you, make sure that you're doing something to empower them to achieve new heights, whether that's opportunities for your current folks to engage some kind of program that targets mm -hmm. their identity, whether it's connecting them with a mentor, sometimes, um, you know, suggesting mm -hmm. opportunities for them to pursue knowledge that you don't you don't have as as a leader, mm -hmm. make sure that you're cultivating them as much as you're cultivating your own knowledge. I love it. That's that's great words to think about more listening, less talking, and uh, change your yeah. actions, not your words. Colin, look, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, talking about the work you're doing at Private Work Canada. And uh, I know you'll share some links that we can put into the, the show notes today for people to uh, connect with you. And um, how can people reach you directly? Um, uh, LinkedIn, email, what's the best way? Oh, yeah. Well, I use LinkedIn's the only social media I can handle. So um, <laughs> they, they can find me on LinkedIn, um, where I'm usually, usually um, uh, you know, popping off about something that I'm upset about on, on there. <laughs> You know, that enragement always gets more engagement than anything else. But yeah, uh, we have a lot of really great resources on our website, creditwork.ca. And my contact information is there as well. We're, we're very open with that. So people can give me an email if they want to. Well, thank you so much for coming on and keep up the great work. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Colin Druin about the questions that you should be asking, that we should be asking to create a more equitable workplace. Some good things there I certainly took away. I hope that we can all implement in on, uh, on this International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia shows that there's some very tangible things that we can all do to make an impact. Next time on the Inspire Podcast, I welcome Dr. Brian Glipkowski, and uh, Dr. Glipkowski is, uh, is a master of answering questions. And if you've ever taken training with the Humphrey Group, you know that Q&A is one of the most difficult interactions to thrive in and master. Dr. Glipkowski has literally written a book on doing this effectively. So fascinating conversation. Hope you join me for that episode coming out next time on your feed. In the meantime, rate, review, give us five stars if you feel so inclined. It helps the pod get found. Go forth and inspire. <laughs>